Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, of the, on, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the light of the world and that you've given us the light of life in Christ. As we contemplate this, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us, that you will enlighten our hearts, that we will be able to have the light of your truth reign true in us. We pray that we will see again the glory of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that our faith, our trust, and our obedience may grow as we contemplate the, that which we can't actually contemplate, and that is that God has become man and dwelled among us and took upon himself our sin and willingly died for us and was raised to eternal life. Lord, we do need your spirit to enable us to contemplate and understand that everything that that means. And we pray that you will help us a little bit further down the road as we do this this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good. Uh, as you have there in your outline, you will see that I started out by saying the lights are on. <clears throat> and uh, the context obviously determines what that means, isn't it? Uh, it could mean the lights are on, uh, yet there's nobody at home. Oh, well, then it's a disappointing statement, isn't it? I was expecting to find somebody there, and there was nobody there. Uh, or you could say that the lights are on um, because I remembered to buy candles uh, because of ESCOM. Or we have been having the lights on because of ESCOM has been doing a fairly good job of late, isn't it? The lights are on, it could be mean something like that. It could mean something a bit more personal. Um, I'm so glad to see that the light has gone on for you. It means you agree with me. We see something, something in the same light. Um, we've come to the same understanding. So it's a fascinating thing that the lights are on. I take it at this time of the year, when we say the lights are on, we're talking about? Christmas, Christmas isn't it? Because everywhere you go, there's jolly lights going on. Flashing in the windows, uh, on trees. Last night we saw the, at uh, the sanctuary, uh, they've got this bit of water there between the two buildings, and we were having some Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we saw these two 
bulbs of light in the water flashing and going, everybody, look at the lights, look at the lights. Uh, Light is a great thing, isn't it? It reminds us of new life. So it's quite interesting. Christmas is a little bit weird for us because Christmas originated in the north, you know, on the other side of the world. And I guess they chose the 25th. You know why? Why did they choose the 25th? It's because of the winter solstice, that right? So by the 25th, it's definitely turned. The longest night has passed and the sun is going to become more dominant. And that's probably why they chose Christmas to be the 25th of December. Because saying the light has come and it's now going to get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. Um, and that is what we as Christians really believe is that Christmas is all about light. And our passage this morning kind of highlights that. So pick it up there again in Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so before we get into Christmas, 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 we have to get into understanding the magnificence of um, Christmas in the bigger context. So if you can understand and grasp what Isaiah is saying in its bigger context, then I think it will start to understand the wonder of what we're really doing. Whether Jesus was born on the 25th, highly unlikely, but let us not get confused with the facts. Let us rejoice with the reality that Christ has brought light into this world. So the first thing about Christmas is that Christmas is actually unbelievably sentimental, isn't it? And yet the real Christmas is unbelievably realistic. Did you note what it says? To people walking in darkness, and those living in the land of the shadow of death. We live in a dark world. Not so? Darkness is around us, and so you actually find this verse being picked up in, our, in, 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 in a... Um, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, he actually picks up these verses as well. And the context of Isaiah is quite interesting. The context of these words are a context of an unbelievable darkness in Israel's history. I'm not going to sketch the whole story for you, but there is war in the air. Assyria, the American slash Iraq combination bully, you know, is on its way to wipe out all nations. War is in the air. It's dark. People are terrified. People are scared. Judah, the two southern tribes, are not only afraid of Assyria coming, they're also afraid because Aram, one of the other nations, and Israel, their brothers, the ten northern tribes, are coming together in a coalition to attack them, to destroy them, so that they can all stand together against Assyria that is coming. So there is family intrigue. There is disunity among God's people. There is hatred. There is suspicion. There is all sorts... I mean, it sounds like today, doesn't it? It is exactly the same when Jesus came. In the time Jesus came, there was political intrigue. The Romans have overrun and have taken Jerusalem, the city of God, captured. A king was so terrified that he wanted to know where Jesus is so that he could kill him. Herod. He slaughtered hundreds of little kids during Christmas time. When Jesus was born. Oppression, refugees, people had to flee for their lives. I mean, we're living in a dark world, isn't it? And the scriptures is unbelievably realistic about that reality. Saying the first thing, if you're going to really understand Christmas, you've got to be real. 
And the first thing you've got to be real about is the fact that we're living in a world that is dark, a world that is broken, a world that is full of intrigue, a world that is full of greed, a world that is full of brokenness and suffering and loneliness. That's the first thing. So when the Bible speaks about darkness, I mean, there's a lot that it speaks about. I just want to highlight two. The one is, we've just been speaking about, evil. The fact that people, human beings, image bearers of God, knows what is right, but they'll do what is wrong because they believe by doing that, they can better their own life, they can have a better deal, and they often do it at the expense of others. That's the world we live in. These incredible creatures God has made, us, and yet we have this propensity to try and maneuver and scheme for a better deal for ourselves, often it works out, even if we didn't plan it, at the expense of other people. We live in an evil world, a broken world, a world full of loneliness. But the world is also dark because we live in a world where we don't seem to understand the evil, and neither do we have the ability to deal with the evil and its suffering and its consequences. So we are ignorant and powerless, on top of the fact that we are actually often evil in the way that we conduct ourselves. And so again, Isaiah explains that very well. It says um, people are so in the dark in the times of Isaiah that they are going to the dead and ask the dead, will you please give us advice on how the living should live? They're going to sorcery and all sorts of interesting things. If you have your Bible open, just look at verse 22 of chapter 8. I don't want to get into the whole thing of what he's saying. But people want to rather find somewhere. They will even literally go and play squeegee board and what do you call that thing to find out if there's not somebody out there that is dead that can maybe tell us how we should live <laughs> that's what is happening in those days but look at verse 22 then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness they will look to the earth they will look to the resources that we as human beings have in the hope of finding the answer for the problems we have in this world. And here's the scary story. The more you look to the world and to man and to anything here to find the answers, the bigger the darkness will become, says Isaiah. That's scary, isn't it? So the more we say, well, you know, maybe Christmas is such a great time. I mean, look at you. You all look lovely. And you're all so kind. And you're all busy making presents. And you're spending effort to get the family together. And if we can just love one another like Christmas time... The whole year, maybe we will solve the problems of evil, isn't it? That's what Christmas means. I've actually read a note. Christmas means if we could manage to love one another for the rest of the years we love one another at Christmas, we can solve the evil and the problems of this world. The scripture says the more you look to humans to find the answer, the greater the darkness will become. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, it's. do you agree with it? Is it realistic? Is it true? It seems like most of us don't spend the time to really think through if it's true. So you need to go, I need to go and listen to some really big intellectuals that have sat down and tried to think through what would be the implications if God is dead and we as humans must sort out the issues of life. It's fascinating to read those guys. They all start out rejecting God, and you know what happens right at the end? They actually reject mankind. Go and read them. It's fascinating to read them. You read the intellectuals. Burton Russell. He says, oh no, we must go to science. And he went to science. And the more he did science, the more he discovered we are now going into more and more darkness. Because he doesn't have the answers. Nietzsche himself. God is dead. And if God is dead, well, and he worked it through and worked it through and worked it through. And he says, oh, shucks, if God is dead, then we are dead. 
Because all we can expect is that people will live for power and they will live for pleasure and the insanity of the human race will increase. Now you've got to go and follow them and see why did they arrive there. Maybe you find it a bit weird, but when you listen to these guys and they've thought it through quite significantly and with a lot of detail, they keep on saying that that's what you will find. So, I mean, Christmas is a weird thing. Christmas is actually the most unsentimental part in the scriptures, that we are in darkness. And therefore, we need light. We are in desperate need of light. So Christmas, from the biblical point of view, not from the kind of cultural point of view, says we cannot agree with the positive people who will say, listen, just let's work a little bit harder, be a little bit nicer to one another, then we're going to solve the problem. The Bible does not agree with that at all. But the Bible also doesn't agree with the pessimists, who says that since we do not have the resources and the ability, there is no hope. But you listen carefully to what he says. To those who live in darkness, they have seen a great light. To those who live in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has come from outside of mankind's ability. Actually, it comes from God himself. That's exactly the promise that God is making. It is amazing. So what's the, just for fun, what's the difference between, uh, what does the realist say is the difference between a positive person and a negative person? Well, that is what it is to be positive. One, to, to be positive says the cup is half full and to be negative is the cup is half empty. Right? The other way around. So what does the realist say? What's the difference between a pessimist and an optimist? Is that an optimist is just an inexperienced pessimist. He's just naive. He hasn't experienced life enough. He hasn't turned enough to himself and to others in the hope that someone is going to do something that gives us life. And the Bible tells us here very clearly that God actually can do. So it actually is saying, listen here, it is darker than what you think it is. But it's not beyond God's goodness to do something about it. Because God promises he will send a light into this world that has the capacity to change everything. I mean, that's the promise, isn't it? That's what he's saying. So, yes, it is darker than we think. It is worse than what we think. We are more broken than what we think and imagine and understand. And yet... It is not hopeless because God has promised on those living in the land of a deep darkness, a light has dawned. It has come from outside. God himself has stepped in to us and has given us life. So we know in John 1 it says, um, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And that's what in one says Christmas is all about. You know what it is, actual word? It's all about the fact that not everyone that God loves has recognized yet that Jesus is the light of the world. That's why we still have Christmas. The moment everyone that God loves recognizes that Jesus is the light, the end of the world will happen. So we have Christmas because we may have come to recognize that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but the world itself has not necessarily recognized that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so, at Christmas time, great evangelism time, isn't it? Great sharing time. Telling the world, listen here, this world is darker than what you think. 
I mean, don't you experience it? Every year I get to this time of the year and I think back over the year and I think, you know what? This was a tough year. And then I hope next year is going to be better. And when I get to the next year, I say, this is a tough year. And then I hope that maybe it will get better next year. And then when I get to the end of the year, this was a tough year. You see, this is a tough life. It's a broken life. And there's a light that has shone. And God has brought that light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I have come. But the Bible tells us not everyone has yet recognized that. And has allowed that light to come into them and bring forth light from without them. So that's really what Christmas in one sense is all about. is for us to remind ourselves of that reality. And when we look around us, we see that. There's a whole world out there, and sometimes ourselves, that still lives in darkness. As if God has not sent the light. So just very quickly, light, just three words that I want to highlight for you. Again, the Bible makes a huge issue of light in different ways. Just three very simple things there um, that I have there. The meaning of light. The sun gives us life. So when Isaiah says a light has dawned, he uses the image of the sun coming up. The sun gives life to the earth. Where's the scientist? James and all those guys who do that science. If the sun goes out, we are not toast. We are frozen. <laughs> then we are really the chosen frozen of the Lord. Then we die. Without sun, there is no life. Without God, there is no life. God has made us to live and move and have our beings in Him. We derive our beings from God Himself. We are meant to run on God as a car runs on petrol. We are absolutely dependent on Him to have insight, to have light, to have hope, to have understanding, to have truth, to have grace. So when we don't, we are twisted and we're not functioning as we should and we cause ructions. And we fall for other desires. And we love other things more than God. And we appreciate other things more than God. And we then start to treat one another. When you stand between me and my idol, then I will hurt you. And then I will abuse you. And if I really want it, I'll kill you. Because in my heart, I have been actually cut off from life with his God himself. We're full of discontent and dissatisfaction. All those diswords, isn't it? The Bible tells us because we're not running on light, on the life that is God Himself. We have a difficulty in doing that. The second thing is the sun shows us the truth. I mean, again, I guess when you're in, in the northern side of the world, when there's darkness for most of the day, it's fantastic to have the sun come up and stay up for a bit longer. And you can actually see where you're going. So you don't bump into something and you don't hurt yourself. And so God says, without the light, you cannot understand anything. You need light to see reality. We need God to reveal himself so that we can know him and so that we can know ourselves. We can't even know ourselves without God's light shining into us and giving us light. So light actually gives us truth. It gives us life and it gives us truth and it gives us joy and beauty. So no wonder you know, people come from the northern part of the world to the southern part of the world this time of the year because they want to escape what? Depression. If you're in the dark, in those countries where people literally live in the dark, you know how often those people are depressed? Simply because they don't have enough sunlight coming through their eyes. Light gives joy. I mean, look at the lights. The kids drive down Main Road and Somerset West. Look at the lights. It enlightens you. It gives joy and beauty and purpose and meaning and hope. 
All of those things are connected with this light, isn't it? So when it says that a light has dawned, did you know how interesting? What kind of a light is this that dawned? Go down there to verse 6. For to us a child is born. So you want to solve the problems of the world. How are you going to do that? God says, let a child be born to mankind. That's weird, isn't it? Don't you want the Hulk or Thor or whoever these superheroes are to come and solve the problems of the world, to overpower them with their might? A child will be given to you. I mean, that is really weird. That is probably the weirdest thing of our whole Christian message is that God has become a man. God has given us a child. A child will be born to you. A child that is so unique that is completely different to anything else out there and yet is the same to what God has made from the beginning. And now he tells us how different he is. Look at what his verse says. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If you are going through a difficult time in your life, is it good? Is it fantastic? Is it amazing that you can have someone who can sit next to you and counsel you? And the more that person has walked in your moccasins, the more that person can relate to your pain and the more they can actually help you. Isn't it? I mean, the other night I was just watching a, a, a movie, and again, it's one of those terrible things where a mother had lost her child, and she was all over the place and trying to make sense of it. And eventually she found another woman who's also lost her child, and she said, now for the first time, I feel someone understands. Because everybody comes to me and try and tell me these platitudes of how to deal with this pain. And you just tell me as it is. And I now can identify with you. I cannot listen to your counsel because you've been in my shoes. You know exactly what it means. Now listen to what he says. He is the wonderful counselor. Here's the weirdest thing about Christianity is that God, no matter what reason he has allowed us to fall into sin, listen to what Dorothy says, says about this. The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrow and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life that is coming up for Christmas, the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and through it and thought it well worth his while. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? Christmas shows us that God does not demand something that he's not 
prepared to pay. He knows what it means to be ignored. He knows what it means not to be loved. He knows what it means not to be acknowledged. He knows what it means to fail in one sense. He knows what it means when people spit in your face. He knows when people reject you. He knows everything. He knows what it means to work hard. He knows everything. He says, I am your counselor. I am the wonderful counselor. That's who he is. So the light of life that has come says, I will counsel you on how you can live. I am your counsel. That's what he's really saying. Isn't that incredible? Now, I don't know how you feel this time of the year. I mean, my emotions are like a yo-yo this time of the year. I watch something and I just want to cry. I mean, I'm not an emotional guy, but I just want to cry. And then I just want to laugh. And then I just feel like, you know, why am I alive? Why can't we just die and go to heaven? Are you like me? Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor that can walk through you and where you've been. He's been there, done that. He says, come, I am the light of your life. I will be your counselor. I'm the mighty God. I've got all the power in the world to be able to do what I've just told you I will do. I am so powerful, I can bring joy out of sorrow. I'm so powerful, I can bring light out of darkness. I'm so powerful, I can bring reconciliation out of sin. And I'm so powerful, I can bring life out of death. I am your counselor. I am the mighty God. I am the everlasting Father, which is a little bit weird, isn't it? Talk about Jesus as the everlasting Father. He's the everlasting source and provider and protector of his people. He's busy building a home. That's what he's saying. It's his function. He is the provider and the protector of people. I'm busy making a home for my people. You can come to me. I'm all of that. I mean, he's not just an ordinary child, isn't he? He's a child. He's a child who will be born, but he's no ordinary child. And lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. And there we can spend lots of times. Oh, how we would love that we will have a Prince of Peace by the end of the day in South Africa. He is so good, he will put the government on his shoulders. Now, I mean, the text, there's lots of interesting things going on. We are crushed by our inability to do justice and righteousness. And he says, I will put the government on my shoulders and I will carry it. And I will carry it even through death. And everyone that comes to me will have an ever-increasing experience of life and righteousness and justice and peace. Everyone who comes to me, I am the prince of peace because I am the establisher of righteousness and justice. There's stacks of stuff. You can go and read this for yourself. Unbelievable what he's saying. So if you look at our world, what does our world need? Our world needs someone who's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. And that is what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. God has seen our need, and He says, I will give you something. I will give you a son. I'll give you my son. I will give you the unique son that will rule over everything and bring about a kingdom that will last forever. See, here's the light that enlightens when all other lights go out. And boy, oh boy, they do go out, don't they? And then just like, lastly, the light of grace. 
So how can we actually have this light? He has revealed himself. He's come. In history, Jesus has come onto the scene. We've just read that even though he came, people still don't recognize him. They didn't recognize him then. They still don't recognize him now. So how can we actually get this light that has been revealed, that has been written down for us? So look again at verse 6. Very interesting little word. For us a child is born, and to us a son is given. It's a gift. How do you get a present? Despite the fact that your parents teach you if you're nice, you get a bigger one. You cannot buy a gift. You cannot earn a gift. Amazing, isn't it? He has given us something. You have to receive it as a gift. But here's the wonderful thing about Christmas. Did you know not all gifts are received in the same way? You know that? Okay, yeah, believe me. I buy you some chocolate for Christmas. Right? All right. Nice gift. You're happy, you're thankful if you like chocolate? Okay, maybe you like marzipan like my, my mom. I mean, I <laughs> can't stand, but she loves marzipan. I give her marzipan, she says, thank you very, very, very much. Uh, you know that I don't like marzipan. I need marzipan. So you've seen my need, and you've given it to me, and I love it. All right? But there are gifts that are a little bit more difficult to receive, isn't there? Now you see me in, your, in all my glory in front of you. What would happen if you return my chocolate or marzipan or whatever it is that I gave you with a book that says how to lose 10 kilos and keep it off? How do you think I'll receive that gift? Wow, you've seen my need and I'm so glad that you've given me a gift that I can use. See, to receive that gift means I have to be realistic about myself. And I have to be humble enough to receive it. Or I will look at you and... <laughs> thank you. you know what? That's what people do Christmas every single year. You cannot enjoy and experience the wonder of Christmas if you are not humbled to the core of your being. Because Jesus says, those in darkness will see light. If you are not aware of the darkness within you, of your inability to save yourself, of your inability to save your wife and your children and your friends and your country and the world, Christmas will be, <laughs> thank you, great time. That's what Christmas would mean. That's what Christmas means so often, isn't it? You have to be humbled deep into your very soul to receive this gift for the greatness that it is. You've got to humble yourself. God, I cannot save myself. There is darkness in me that I have got no ability to overcome. No matter how hard I tried to keep my New Year's resolutions this whole year. And some of you are so jolly pessimistic, you don't even make your New Year's resolutions. See, you cannot experience the wonder of Christmas if you don't live in the realism of Christmas. 
that God sees your darkness and He gives you a gift of His Son. And for everyone who accepts that gift, light will dawn. It's not, not fully there, it's dawned, it's come. It's starting to rise. It will be in full bloom when Jesus Christ comes again in glory. But isn't that the incredible thing about Christmas? Have you received the gift of God in utter humility? Because if you think you don't need it, you will pass it by for the chocolates. That's what we want to tell people. Christmas is a fantastic time because we are saying there is light for this dark world. Don't go anywhere else. Come to Christ. Receive Him. Allow Him to take control of your heart and your mind and your soul and your body and give yourself to Him again and again and again and allow His light to enlighten you. Make Him your counselor. Make Him your mighty God. Make Him your everlasting Father and make Him the one who is the Prince of Peace because that is who He is. Let's pray and ask God to help us to grab onto that this Christmas. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible gift, your son, a human, not a principal, a person. Someone who is absolutely, intimately acquainted with our situation. He does not stand afar off and shout commands and encouragement. He came and put on our shoes. He entered our brokenness. And on the cross as he died, the light of the world, the entire world became dark because light descended into darkness. And on the third day, light broke out of darkness through the resurrection to proclaim life and eternal life for everyone who recognized their own darkness and recognized Jesus as the light of the world. Father, we pray we will not miss this because we are so used to it. We're so blasé in one sense about all of this stuff that happens. We pray that you will help us in the midst of all the presents and the gifts and the cars and the trees and the lights and all these things that we will not forget. Jesus Christ knows my darkness. Jesus Christ knows my pain. Jesus Christ knows my fear. Jesus Christ knows my arrogance. He knows everything. And he has come to give me life, to give me light, to give me hope. Lord, we pray that we may help one another to capture that again and afresh. Thank you for your great reminder this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name.